Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss. The best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. Yes, sir. Welcome in Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. It is time for the Gabe Kuhn Show. I'm your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman on X at G underscore Kuhn. 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on Exit Seat Dunning 929. Connor, how, how's it hanging? Hello. It's great. We get Good to talk about a win. Yeah, it's positive. You don't have win. to be negative. Yeah, no, you know, guarded positivity, I think, is the best way to put that. Step forward. <laughs> no question. Anything was a step forward from last week. When you combine to lose two games by 37 points and then win by 24, Anything feels good, but 24-point win. And quite frankly, meaningful adjustments from Penny Hardaway. Right. It just felt different last night. It felt different. I was glad they got to do it in front of the home crowd. That's always fun. Now, when it comes to, you know, hopes for the NCAA tournament, we know those are dashed unless they go into the AAC tournament and handle business. Penny Hardaway seems to think a little differently. We'll discuss the quote he gave out last night. But the Tigers got over top last night of Charlotte, 76-52, to and they absolutely hammered them in the second half and played their best defense of the year in that second half against the Charlotte team who came into that game winning 11 of their last 12. So we'll talk about that, and then we'll look ahead to Florida Atlantic on Sunday. We hyped up for that one. I, it would have meant more had the Tigers played better throughout conference play if, if, if the at-large bid was still on the table. But that game still means something. It still means something for bragging rights. Right. You need it. And you can uh, potentially, if Florida Atlantic takes a bunch more losses, you could sort of put them squarely on the bubble. Spoil them? Yeah, you could spoil their their plans for the NCAA tournament. We'll talk about all that. Um, the NBA starting back up tonight. And uh, what do we have to look forward to? 9 p.m. TNT. You had Lakers versus Warriors, right? And you're thinking, okay. 
right out of the All-Star break on TNT, national TV, we see a West Coast game, Steph and LeBron on the floor at the same time. What could be better? We don't know how many times we're going to see that going into the future with both those guys aging, especially LeBron James. LeBron James is ruled out after playing in the All-Star break, or the game, playing in the All-Star game. Coming out of the All-Star break to an injury on a nationally televised game, you know, that whole CBA thing and the 65-game requirement and everything else, you're supposed to put the kibosh on that using, using those rules. And that, that's not happening. That's not happening. Um, but the NBA does start back up tonight. We'll talk about some Grizzlies. And uh, there's a Gigi Jackson sound I want to play um, at some point in the second hour. Connor, you've heard it. it. Gigi Jackson definitely, like, there's a little bit of immaturity there, right? We know that he violated team rules, had to get suspended a game. We know that he has four fines before that. But at 19 years old, hearing sort of how he speaks about himself and the position he came from to go get this contract in year one, you can tell this guy has a great head on his shoulders. I don't know how you felt hearing that. Yeah, he gets it. He gets it. He understands it. Now, you know, there's a learning process with every single player, especially one of his age, Um, but... I, I liked what I heard from him, and he was obviously with uh, with Kelsey Wright of Grind City Media talking about it. So we'll play that sound at some point. As far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins from the Daily Memphian and the Jeff Calkins Show will join at 5, then at 6 o'clock. Because the NBA is starting back up, we bring in Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation in the front office show with Keith Smith, who also joins the show every once in a while. We'll talk about the NBA starting back up, LeBron's injury designation right out of the All-Star break. Plenty to discuss there. And then the Blitz, of course, is at 6.30, and we have a lot of college football to talk about. As uh, Pete Thamel, ESPN college football reporter, is reporting that uh, the college football playoff met. The people at the college football playoff committee met. And they're already discussing a different model, Connor. They're already discussing 14 or 16 teams. Now, my main question, without spoiling my full take on it, is why? <laughs> it's, that, it's that simple, but we'll talk about that once we hop into the Blitz. Now, let's get into a little bit of positive Tiger basketball news. How about it? Win over Charlotte, who came into the game winning 11 of their last 12. They were 11-2 and two in conference. They were second in the American, and the Tigers handled business. They're now 19-8, and 8-6 eight, eight in conference. They are tied for seventh with North Texas. Well, they're a half game up on North Texas until North Texas plays UTSA next time out. But 76-52... to 52, 36 to 17 in the second half. And it just looked like an energized team. And I had asked the question, the big question going into last night was when a team seemingly quits like they did against SMU, they lost faith. They clearly were uncomfortable. Uh, they, 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 they didn't know if the game plans were right. They didn't have confidence in themselves. They were chucking and ducking on the offensive end. They weren't sharing the ball. They weren't t- playing team basketball. I asked, you know, can, can a team get it back once they quit? They got it back, man, in a big way. And, and you know, the first half, it was 40-35. to 35. They only had a five-point lead. But you could tell an immediate difference. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't the cleanest half of basketball I've ever seen a Memphis Tigers team play. But you could tell there was a serious effort to share the basketball to do the right things out there and try to play hard-nosed defense, um, which I'll get to in a second. I thought the game plan was better on the defensive end. Um, but to play hard-nosed defense, switch, and communicate. Uh, the second half, it all came together for them. Uh, sort of when you look at the final stats, the Tigers from the field were 50%, but I think the disparity that you have to look at most notably 
Um, because of the starting lineup and having three bigs in, which I'll get to in a second, Tigers out-rebounded Charlotte 38-20. to 38-20. to 20. They absolutely whooped their butt on that end. And you know what rebounding is? Talk to any coach, anybody out there, it's about effort and wherewithal and trying to be a team player. That's what rebounding is. To win the rebounding battle by 18, to win the offensive rebounding battle 13-4, to to share the ball the way they did, that was just a different look. And I, I can see where people would get some positivity going in to the back half uh, the last four games of the schedule, but we'll have to see what it sort of looks like um, coming up on Sunday against FAU because we have seen this team play games like this and then struggle the next time out. The consistency hasn't quite been there. Now, there's three reasons, truthfully, and I, I think three adjustments Penny made that made this game go this way, a 24-point route of Charlotte. First, I want to start on the offensive end. On the offensive end, you'll notice the shot distribution was phenomenal. Javon Quinterly had the most shots. He had 12, but he was 6 for 12. Everybody else in the starting lineup, Naquan Tomlin had seven shots. Nick Jordan, six shots. David Jones, he got poked in the eye. He had five shots. Jaquan Walton ended up coming in for him for most of the second half. He had six shots. And then Malcolm Dandridge had nine. The shot distribution was great. There was a a clear, concise effort to not play hero ball and not play one-on-one. And then Penny explained it after the game. And, And what have I been calling for? for about two months now, and when they were winning, I called for it in the fact that they would go through these lulls at the end of games in their, in their scoring. They would go through these scoring droughts at the end of games when, when other teams were sitting down and defending very hard. But I, I asked for offensive sets. I think that you need to find something you can fall back on. Now, Penny explained it after the game. He said from last week to this week, uh, they had their two best practices on Monday and Tuesday. So leading into Wednesday... Monday and Tuesday, they game-planned offense, and he said he scripted the entire game offensively, put them into offensive sets, tried to get the Ducks in a row, and tried to set them up for success. That is a meaningful adjustment that we've been waiting to see for quite some time, especially this year. Now, I know what Penny Hardaway tries to do on the offense. There's no surprise there. You get these guys who are very talented on the offensive end, like David Jones, like Javon Quinterly, and you try to let them sort of have the freedom. That's what he's always tried to do. But when he screwed down and said, hey, I'm going to script these things, we're going to get into sets, we're going to set screens for each other, we're going to share the ball in a more meaningful way, we're not going to get stagnant, you saw the results. They were comfortable. They were comfortable, and they knew their role within the offense. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and there's another thing I've been calling for for quite some time, this team defensively so far this year has had a lot of struggles. I don't, I mean, that's, that's honestly a nice way of putting it. Very nice way of putting it. We know the past of Penny Hardaway has put pressure on the ball, try to speed up the other team, get turnovers, get knockaways, um, go into the full court, do that type of thing. This team is not built to do that. They're just not. They want to expend most of their energy on the offensive end. Uh, that could be a criticism of them as well, but you see that. And defensively, they're tough. Um, it's tough for them to close out on three-point shooters. It's tough for them to react when another team breaks the press that Penny Hardaway always wants to put on. Uh, They seem to get overextended. What did Penny Hardaway do last night? What did he do? Sat back? Yeah, he threw different looks. Threw different looks at Charlotte throughout the game. He'd pick them up close to half-court, but he let them sit back, sit down, and play half-court defense the entire game. It can serve some energy for the offensive end, And quite frankly, 
It just alleviated a lot of the communication issues they've had with overextending that defense the entire year. That's an adjustment I've been waiting for because this team is an offensive team. The metrics will tell you that. The stats will tell you that. Yet Penny is trying to sort of, he had been trying to force that square peg into a round hole. He had been trying to make his personnel do things that he wants them to do, not what his personnel can do. And last night, drop back, sit down, play half-court defense, and what do they do? They hold Charlotte to 17 points for the entire second half. Charlotte was stuck in the mud. They didn't really know what to do. And then the third thing, and this is just tip the cap, This is not. I don't think anyone really saw this as a real possibility because when Naquan Tomlin came in, Naquan Tomlin, you know, you think of him as a five. He's 6'11", 240 pounds. He can rebound. Yeah, he has the stretch ability, and he could put the ball on the ground. But you looked at him as the tallest player on your team. He's going to have to play the five and do some of the dirty work. Penny Hardaway inserted him at the three and played a three-big lineup. You had Javon Quinterly and David Jones as the wings. Then the third wing was Naquan Tomlin. Then you had Nick Jordan and Malcolm Dandridge rounding it out at the four and the five. I, I, I was questioning how it would look. I really was going into the game. I was just curious because Naquan Tomlin is big. You wonder about him on the perimeter the whole game, trying to have a defensive assignment on the perimeter. Um, is he good enough off the bounce and swinging the ball vision-wise to, to really be a, a full-time wing? As that game went along, I think I like it. I think I like it. He still had eight rebounds, but he had 16 points. Four for seven from the field, one for three from three. He was efficient, didn't turn the ball over. He looked comfortable at the three the entire game. That is a good thing. You tip the cap to Penny Hardaway for feeling like that was a string he could pull. He pulled it, and it worked brilliantly. I think Penny did a great job last night. I really do. Um, The offensive game plan was sound. The defensive game plan, he set these guys up for success. He truly did. And he admitted, you know, in that post game that he had to switch some things up that he'd been doing this season. The rotation was fantastic last night. I think that Jaquan Walton deserves a lot yes. of credit for his play. You know, he has struggled the last few games, but he came in last night and, you know, three for six from the field. You love to see that. But he had five rebounds, one assist, one steal. He was extremely active. Another thing um, with Tomlin moving to the three, he only had one foul. Yep. And I wonder if that is connected because he wasn't having to be down the paint as much. He was able to be out on the perimeter. He was a little bit more active. Having that length you, on the you perimeter. Want honesty. Well, it kind of it he was able to pseudo do things that Caleb Mills was doing when he was out there at the three. That length on the perimeter, I do think helped the Memphis Tigers three point defense. Charlotte still had some open looks, but the Tigers' activity was tremendous last night, and they were always there. They were running to them, so they didn't just have wide-open looks the entire time. I, really, it was it's exactly what you wanted to see from this Tigers team. It was a response that was fantastic. The players brought their energy. They were locked in from the Speak. beginning. It, it seemed like they were playing for pride. They understood that 
we are better than this team. Let's go bury them. Let's punch them in the mouth, put them in the mud. And that's exactly what they did. It was a lot of fun watching that Tigers team last night. I can't lie. It's the most together I felt like they've played in a very long time. And like you said, the shot distribution was fantastic. It's funny. We've had a theory about the assistant turnovers all year. And they had 15 turnovers to 13 assists. But it was different. It wasn't hero ball turnovers. Yeah. It was actually well, sometimes they were oversharing. Yeah, they, like, they got into the group. They were Javon kind of like, hey, the this first is Fine. Javon in the first throw, throw, half, throw. I thought there were several occasions where he overshared and overpassed. Right. He had open threes and he just skipped them up to swing the ball. And then I think it was almost, I mean, maybe the Wichita State game, there was a couple possessions like this, but it felt like the first possession all year, they got a second chance. And then all five guys touched it. It ends with a Nick Jordan. Dunk. Dude, it was so funny because after that play happened, I think every single, I think Munns, Parth, all of them p- tweeted You're out. Like, They're like, wow, five guys touched five- it. Five guys touched it. And he was right. like, oh my God, oh my God. So right. no, it was, it was exactly what you had wanted to see from that Memphis Tigers team. And it's why we were talking about yesterday, can they allow the 1% of hope to remain? And they allowed that 1% of hope to remain. So in the next game against FAU, it's a huge opportunity to maybe make that percentage go up a little bit. The David Jones thing is a mystery, and it is going to have a huge impact on whether or not this Tigers team might be able to, to get it done against FAU. We shall see. But last night, watching that team... The reason so many people were so high on them when they were 15 and 3 and the, you know they they were top 10 we saw it last night when this team locks in and when Penny sets them up for success and shortens that rotation they can go out there and bury teams that they're much better than so just a, a thumbs up all around for this Memphis Tigers team and Joe Cooper. How yeah, awesome was, was that, I'm man? I'm about to bring that up in a how second. How awesome He's was that? Now uh, David Jones on the eye situation, I think he left the he left uh FedEx form with an eye patch on or something covering his eye, so I don't know what that's. I was told like he couldn't look into the light. Yeah, that's just tough. That's, not good. That's scary. That's scary. Um, also, you talked about energy being brought. Um, that's where I think Jaquan Walton really needs his, his flowers. Not only did he play good ball, nine points, um, he was more efficient than he has been all year, but he came into the game and within a second, one second, he gets a double technical alongside Lucy uh, 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 Patterson who is the lead guard, leading scorer for Charlotte. Then in the next possession, the next couple of possessions, he drives right at Patterson, gets him another foul, and he was never able to get it going. This was their leading scorer, and he had zero points, 0 for 5 shooting, 0 for 2 from the field, and he had four fouls. And Penny mentioned it after the game. You know, usually you have coaches, when a player gets a technical foul, you seemingly look at that and you're like, you're hurting the team. Penny said he loved it. Penny said he loved it because it showed some fire, some energy, some fight, and those type of things definitely hype up the rest of the team to play with that type of intensity and energy. It's definitely a calling card, a, a, a rallying cry for a team that you, you thought seemingly could have lost a whole lot of momentum, a whole lot of intensity after the way the last week has gone. Now, uh, two, two players I want to highlight first. How about Joe Hooper? Joe Cooper. Um, I, I, I just want to, like, the stat sheet isn't phenomenal by any stretch of the imagination, but three points, three rebounds, one assist, one for two from three in nine minutes. He, he, he impacted winning, and he looked good. He looked like he fit out there. And this is a walk-on guy. This is a guy who Penny Hardaway probably wouldn't have looked at once when he was coming out of Olive Branch. Like, there's, it's just not what it was going to be um, through his recruiting process. I think he went to JUCO for a while. 
But I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about playing for the city, quote unquote, playing for the city. And Penny sort of mentioned that. And I, I sort of reject that. I think you can have guys from outside of the city who can come in and latch onto the culture and understand it like Kendrick Davis did, like DeAndre Williams did. But I think it does show, you know, the way the fan base is rallying around Joe Cooper, who just really got his, you know, this is, this is his second game of getting any minutes. The way the city's rallying around Joe Cooper, it does show that there definitely is a pride. Absolutely. And a, a, a sense of, a sense of, you know, uh, succeeding, you know, people have fun with it and it definitely creates a culture that way. Like it, it, it still shows, even with a guy like Joe Cooper, it shows that there is an importance to local kids being involved with this program going into the future. Now they, we know that like, uh, you know, the talent is not quite what it was when Penny Hardaway first got the job. He brought in a bunch of Memphis kids, the Tyler Harris, DJ Jeffries, Alex Lomax, Malcolm Day. He brought all those guys in. You didn't know what was uh, uh, going going into the future, and I still don't know going into the future how many guys he's going to be able to recruit from Memphis. But I do think there still is a fair amount of importance to keeping local kids in this city. And Joe Cooper, even being you know the 11th, 12th guy off the bench, it definitely sort of proves that point because the fans, he's, he's a fan favorite in two games, quite frankly. I, I, that, that's, that's how I need to put it. It's, he's playing with desperation. He, he's playing like the way you view it, or at least I have in the, in the few minutes that he has gotten so far, is when he's out there, he's playing like he may never get another minute in the Memphis Tigers uniform, right. and that matters. And I think it absolutely matters, too, when we've seen a few games of um, poor effort from some of his teammates. It, it, it stands out to people, especially when the kids from Memphis – Having that name across his chest matters. He grew up with the Memphis Tigers. He grew up with the, you know, hearing about those Cal teams, even the Pazner teams that almost got it done, and Penny Hardaway, and wanting to be a part of this city's, you know, most beloved program. I think that we're allowed to say that the Memphis Tigers basketball team pound for pound is probably the worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole well good thing instacart shoppers are as picky as you are they find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line they are milk expiration date detectives they bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 
city's most beloved program. It really is. It, it just it's it's in the DNA of everybody that's here. We're Hoop City. That's it, they matter to us so much. So seeing a kid from here that understands the history, being able to go out there and produce and almost prove a point, yes, matters. Yeah, and I know it sounds corny, but it's palpable. Like sports are corny. It. You feel it. Yeah. You like you feel the energy from you know, the fan base and from him when he's on the floor. Authenticity that, that, sometimes that means gets, something. So authenticity sometimes gets confused with being corny. And uh, it's it's this is just, you know, sports are poetic. Yep. I view this as a poetic moment. This kid got came in, he's been working his ass off Complete, it sounds like beyond an afterthought. Right. And uh it was just it was really cool to see. And in a couple weeks that have been you know, tough. The narratives around this team, it is just it hasn't been fun to talk about. Like you and I have talked right. about how, you know, it's had an effect on us after the shows. It's just it stinks having to talk so negative about this program. And, you know, Joe Cooper is one of those lights in the midst of, of some darkness right now for the Memphis Tigers. But last night overall, man, it felt like this team got back to something. And you said it. The most important thing now is consistency. Can yep. you show up and do it again? Because we do need to be a little bit honest that you were playing Charlotte. I know that they've had a run in the conference, but you were so much more talented than that team, and you did exactly what you should do. You were a six-and-a-half-point favorite. We said they should be, and they should bury them, and that's exactly what you did. So now you have FAU. It's a test. What, what are you made of? What are yeah. you made of now? Go show it. Yeah, you, no, you showed that you can do it. Go show it again. You should have no visions of this team winning four games in four days just based off a win against Charlotte. I'm just it's up to them right now. Well, it's, it's up, up to them. them. It's about the it's about the energy they bring every night, and if they're going to share the ball, play team basketball like they did um, last night against Charlotte. But we'll see. We'll see. Now the other guy I want to highlight, and I he's the head of the snake for this team. If he plays badly, they're going to lose. If he plays well, they're going to win. That's Javon Quinterly, and you know with point guards, that's usually the case. They're orchestrating everything. They're setting up everything. Um, they're usually the most communicative person. They have to know where everybody's on the floor. They're the quarterback of a basketball team. I get that. But one thing about Javon Quinterly, when he has his bad games, I notice him pressing. I notice him feeling like he has to do too much offensively. Like he has to knock down all these threes, whether they're contested or not. Like he has to go be a volume Shooter, a scorer. Now, last night he was good. He had 17 points. He had six assists, only two turnovers. But one thing that I've noticed in just about every game that they've won where he is playing well is he's not doing anything that he's not capable of. He's not pressing. He's not trying to put up as many shots as possible. He doesn't have to be this a double-digit scorer every single night for this team to have success. But what he does have to do is be a calming presence, limit turnovers, and get them into their offensive sets. It's that simple for him. And now when he does those things, usually he has better stats that follow. But you notice a calm demeanor where he's not pressing when he has his good games, when he has his bad games, that completely flips on his head. And I still think this is part of the reason that you can't just immediately watch that game and 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 you know say the Tigers are back is because Javon Quinterly has been down the stretch of the season the most, in my opinion, inconsistent player on this team. You'll have a game like this and he'll follow it up with a more turnover than assist game where he's just chucking and ducking. So I think if this team's going to be successful and try to recapture a little bit of glory, 
he's going to have to take it upon himself to play within himself. Because when he plays outside of his normal capabilities, it goes terribly for this team. Yeah, he's just play within himself. That's that's perfect. I agree with everything that you just said with him. It, it's He leads that offensive pack. And when yep. he plays contained, is, isn't, isn't chucking, doing these fast break threes that don't make much sense, when he's sharing the basketball, not trying to force the issue, the offense looks much better. Now, that being said, I do think that Penny last night, his offensive sets really set up that team for success. Yes. You know, he talked about how you broke down how the whole year it has been a bit of iso ball because Quinterly and Jones and even Tomlin are so talented when they get the ball in their hands. Penny's been like, well, I got to trust my guys. Last night, though, he set them up for success, and Javon Quinterly did exactly what he needed to do. It was very encouraging. You do hope, though, or you do wish that you weren't necessarily talking about your starting point guard's consistency this late in February, but positive sign moving forward. Maybe these sets, maybe, you know, scripting the game a little bit better on the offensive end will make Javon Quinterly a lot calmer because he he knows where guys are going to be on the floor and he knows the actions and where they're trying to get to. That helps. That means something. We talked about Penny's NBA. He's a basketball player. Genius. Like that, Penny Hardaway, like he understands the game he's got through the, and through. He's got and the when knowledge. he can set up a point guard and be like, yeah. hey, do this, it's probably a good thing for that point guard. It's, so he's got the knowledge, He's got Connor, it, but what it's what about I'm the application, that's what though, I, no, right? Exactly. That's where I was getting to is that last night, Penny finally applied that knowledge onto this young point guard and said, do this, and it worked. So continue to do that. Yep. Continue to do that. Penny, you're one of the best point guards we've ever seen. Set up your point guards for success. Your team's going to look good. I also want to run this theory by you. They played great defense last night, or better defense yes. last night. Not great. They played better defense Second last half, night. they played But great. they played as a team. And you could tell that the energy that they were getting from making stops on the defensive end was encouraging team play on the offensive end. They felt together. There's something about having stands on the defensive end, I think, that brings together a team. And you, you still got that defense leading the offense that Penny Hardaway teams usually have. It just looked a little bit different last night. But, they, see, that's also a blessing and a curse for this team because when things go badly, they, on completely, the defensive fall, end? they completely yeah. fall apart. Yeah. Like, I think, I think that your, your theory is correct, but that works both ways. Right. And we've seen that. In the well, and that's why if they stick to this half-court setup for defense— you could tell that the players they had more had confidence a, they had a and trust more with each bounce. other. There was more of a bounce to them because I think that they knew, okay, I we we can do this. We're, we're good at the half court stuff. We're not going to overextend. We're not going to have to overhelp. They're not going to get all of these three point daggers that you feel in the previous game. So last night's game plan just stick. It was encouraging. Like I said, you've got some percentage of hope now. Just just allow that no. to continue to go up. But you have a big test against FAU. Big test. Yeah, no. and you may not have David Jones. Penny was talking, and he was sort of asked about tournament aspirations. And I think, okay, this is... We're this, not there yet. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this quote I'm about to read is true Connor Dunning, Prince of Positivity talk. This is, this is about as glass half full as you could possibly look at the situation, even though I think it's a fairy tale what, he, what he's bringing up. But he said, quote, if you win out and you continue to win and you win in this fashion, maybe you get somebody on the NCAA tournament committee to say, okay, maybe Memphis is back. And that's the end of the quote. No. You have to win the tournament, man. You've already lost too many quad three and quad four games. You don't have enough quad one wins. Uh, you, you had an embarrassing week last week when you had a chance 
to sort of prove it to these guys against North Texas and SMU. I think the rest of the year, beating FAU, if you beat FAU, this game against Charlotte, it's about confidence building heading into the tournament to show that this team is back playing at least decent basketball, playing team basketball. I I don't think anything about the rest of the regular season should be hinging on the fact, well, if you win out, you may convince the committee. You're not going to convince the committee. You're just not. You're off the bubble at this moment. I'm okay if they believe that, though. You know, if, if fine, they believe guess, that and play that way, fine with me. It'll help them bring the energy. It's they're the only reason I think that that might be even the smallest. Apo- if you bury FAU twice by like twenty, maybe. But I, but do we believe that even, is going I don't, to happen? No, at one, I don't believe that's going to happen. And two, I, even if the, you do that, I don't think the that's most enough. important thing for this year is you need to a running start into that tournament. You need a running start into it and to be playing your best basketball. So play consistently, play together, stick to the plans, have a shorter rotation. All of those things are what needs to be focused on right now so you can run into that tournament and maybe, maybe do four in four days. It's a yeah. very big task, but they've got the talent, and if they play like they did last night, they've got a shot at it. Not, it's it's not guaranteed it's by any way means. outside shot. Way, got, I don't know. Way it's not, I don't shot. know if it's an outside. It's they're one. They're the most talented if, team if in the they, league. If they play like that for four straight games, sure. Right. But who the hell? They have how the can ability. you say? How can you even remotely say that they, that it's possible for this team to play like that four games? Because we've seen days? it. We've eh, seen it. They've done it before. Eh, so do it again. Eh, I don't know if they have. They I don't know if they have. have. They won 10 games in I, a row. I, well, they won 10 games in a row, but that was part of that was 4-0 in conference when they looked really bad. They had to have Javon Quinterly knock down a three to go win them games against sure. inferior opponents. Okay. We've seen them do it before. My point is they have They've the ability to do They've strung together wins. I, listen, I agree that they have, they have the ability to string together wins. Yeah. But to play with the energy and the effort they had last night, that has not been a game-to-game thing. That has not been, even over that 10-game win streak, we didn't see That's what that. I'm saying. That's why you've got to run. If the most important thing they need to do now, run into that tournament. Yeah. If you can string together some wins now, that's stringing together wins. You've got to prove it, though. Yeah. It's on them. They've got to prove it. Yeah. If they want everybody to believe that they can do it, it's on them. And last night was a step in the right direction. 100%. Now, uh, I think Florida Atlantic on Sunday could be a step in the right direction. There's could potential be. for that. So uh, let's go ahead and grab a break. When we come back, I want to preview that game, talk about some of the matchups and uh, what it could mean for the Tigers uh, coming up at 3 p.m. on Sunday against this Florida Atlantic team who I know they want revenge against. That's next, 92.9 FM, ESPN. Coming up on Sunday, 1 p.m., FedEx Forum. It's the first of two against Florida Atlantic. Tigers will take them on. Uh, Florida Atlantic at this point, 20-6. and six. They have been very solid this year. They're not having the same season as they did a year ago where they only lost three games. They had some struggles in the out-of-conference. And they, they've lost some games in conference as well. They're third in the American Athletic Conference currently. Um I think the first thing I'll point out is Florida Atlantic does have a game against SMU tonight at SMU. It's going to be a very sort of tough turnaround for them Thursday to Sunday to have to deal with SMU and then Memphis back-to-back. The Tigers have a, a, a extra day to prepare, so there will be that. Now, one thing I know for certain about this game is contrary to some of these games in conference, the Tigers will be up for this one. The intensity will be there. You have some holdovers, Malcolm Dandridge, Jaden Hardaway, Penny in general, um, who, who were there for last year's loss. And it means something to them to get the revenge. And also, Naquan Tomlin at Kansas State, he wants his revenge over Florida Atlantic as well after getting knocked out. So 
I, I think that the intensity is built in for this game, regardless of what you think about the Tigers' tournament hopes, which I think they're dashed from an at-large perspective. Um, but this is going to be an interesting matchup because so far this year, when you look at Florida Atlantic and what they try to do, uh, they are sort of the anti-Memphis in the fact that they are strictly continuity. Um, they do not have a rent team by any stretch of the imagination. John L. Davis, Vlad Golden, Elijah Martin, Nick Boyd, Brian Greenlee, Giancarlo Rosado were all guys that are going to be in that top seven or top eight who were there last year for that Final Four run. John L. Davis so far this year has been phenomenal, 18 points per game on 46, get this, 46% from three. So what the Tigers are going to have to do is guard the three-point line like their life depends on it. They have to make sure that the small lineup that is run out there by Florida Atlantic does not burn them from out there. We know they've had some struggles consistently throughout the year at guarding the three-point line and uh, closing out on shooters, but that cannot be a problem for them in this game. And how do you do that? You do similar things to what you did against Charlotte. I know Charlotte's not a good three-point shooting team, but play in the half court, control yourself, switch well, communicate, and I think you'll be just fine. Now, Dusty May is really good uh, with, with trying to scheme his guys up uh, off ball, getting them running around screens, uh, you know, making them move off ball. So that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with. Now, with this Tigers' new lineup that, they, that I know Penny Hardaway is going to run out there in all likelihood against Florida Atlantic, the new lineup with three bigs where you have Javon Quinterly, David Jones, Malcolm Dandridge, Nick Jordan, and Naquan Tomlin at the three. I, 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 I'm curious how this goes. I'm curious how this goes. Naquan Tomlin, we know he fouled less, played pretty decent defense last night when he was playing more on the perimeter, on the wing. But this is a team in Florida Atlantic who has, I believe, four guys in their starting lineup who are under 6'4", who are under 6'4", and they can all shoot a three-point ball. The only seven-footer, the only guy over 6'4", in that starting lineup is Vlad Golden. Um, I think Naquan Tomlin is an automatic mismatch, depending on, on who has to guard him of, of those four littles. But on the other end, you do wonder about Naquan Tomlin trying to chase around all these guys, trying to chase off screens at his, his size. I think he has good lateral movement, but having a guy like that consistently playing on the perimeter against pretty talented offensive players that are all under 6'4", that are guards, I think that could be a struggle. But I'm wondering sort of how that all works, what that chess match looks like. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you hope that Penny can set up a defense again that is applied to this roster and sets him up for success. I think it needs to be slightly adjusted from what it was at Charlotte just because, to your point, they are a smaller team, they're a quicker team. I'm not sure what they do. Maybe you do a zone to try to help that perimeter defense. You, know, you never know. So it's going to be curious to see that chess match. It's just because when you look at it on paper, the stats of FAU and Memphis look very similar, but it's two different styles of basketball in how they actually play it. So it does feel like it's going to be a bit of a David versus Goliath in size, at least, uh, come Sunday. It's just it's a massive opportunity for the Tigers to get back some bragging rights and just some some momentum yes. heading into this tournament. If you like can prove you said, you can beat Florida Atlantic. You can beat just about anybody well, in this conference. And if anything, you don't don't prove it to us. Prove it to yourselves. Yes, prove it to yourselves so that you can make this run. You know this this 
unlikely four and four, but maybe you can do it. Maybe you can do it, and but it starts with the win against FAU on Sunday. Now you said you brought up David versus Goliath. I think the biggest thing though heading into Sunday <laughs> it certainly is, is. <laughs> is the David that that, uh, that that plays for the University of Memphis. If David Jones is not healthy, I think just about all bets are off. You need that type of scoring punch when you're going up against this sort of high-powered offense for Florida Atlantic. You're going to have to have a guy who can create an automatic mismatch with all those small guards on Florida Atlantic, and if David Jones is active and ready to go, and his eye is okay, it's gonna—he's gonna be a load for them to deal with. He is hard to cover as is, but when you have a small team and he's six foot seven and he can get off the bounce, it, it becomes even more of a struggle. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just—it's one of those games where if they can control the glass and they can settle in defensively, they should be able to at least have a fighter's chance of winning this game. Yeah, but we'll see. We. Shall see. Also in college basketball, I want to get to a couple of things last night. Uh, Rob Dillingham for Kentucky. Obviously, they lost to LSU late in that game. There was a putback. LSU got over top at the buzzer. Rob Dillingham's a fun player. He's a very fun player. Very fun. I think there's a lot of people after watching him down the stretch of the season. He comes off the bench for Kentucky for whatever reason. Um, But he had 23 points off the bench last night. Um, There's a lot of people sort of putting him in that, you know, top three, top two, maybe even number one overall pick. I, I love him. I think he is a fun-ass player. He can light up a scoreboard. He is a microwave. He is fun to watch. Um, his offensive bag is unreasonably deep. But last night, you just see some of the shortcomings he may have. Defensively, he gets lost all the time. And even on that final play of the game, final possession, I even I pointed it out to you and we watched it before the show it was strange because it was the final possession for LSU. Uh, Kentucky's up 74-73. They put up a shot. Rob Dillingham doesn't block out his guy. His guy comes in, gets the rebound, gets the putback. Rob Dillingham, with one second on the clock, was looking for a leak out to go play offense. <laughs> so there's the shortcoming you look at right now. And I've seen this comparison sort of drawn. Another guy who was in the SEC at LSU, Cam Thomas. I think that there is some very big similarities there. Uh, volume shooters, volume scorers, um, but you definitely worry about what they're going to be at the next level when it comes to defense and affecting winning. Well, that just means the Brooklyn Nets are definitely going to draft him. <laughs> right. That's all we know. Right. But Rob Dillingham is a fun prospect. I've seen him brought up in Grizzlies no. talks. Why, what? Bring him in as a backup point guard? <laughs> no. Backup scoring point? What does that even – how does that he even – He is an extremely talented How does that player? even remotely make sense? Who 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 – Show has the makings of uh, being a successful NBA player. I'm not sure he fits into what the Grizzlies need right now. Well, really what the Grizzlies do. Grizzlies right. are looking for defense, hardcore, winning players, a little bit of dirty work along the way. I don't know if Rob Dillingham has shown any viability in those particular categories. Grizzlies need a big. And they don't need a point guard. They, they need just, a big. <laughs> we got a point guard. And health. At, at full strength and full health, they're pl- they're plenty taken care of in that regard. Um, also, last night I saw one of my favorite stat lines of the year. Tyler Kolick, I think, is the best distributing point guard. He can hoop in the in the in college basketball. Uh, but they played DePaul, and DePaul stinks. And they're looking for a coach, and they're what three and twenty-two, something ridiculous. Uh, but they're terrible in the Big East. Tyler Kolick, this stat line in a one hundred five to seventy-one win, three points, one assist. 18 dimes, one for two from the field. Took two shots, Connor. <laughs> Took two shots, had one free throw. 
And he only had two turnovers to his 18 assists. Somewhere, Rajon Rondo is oh applauding. Oh, my God. He is standing dude. up and applauding. That's the most Rajon Rondo That's a winning st- ball player, buddy. I'll I've tell you seen. what. That affects winning. I think I just fell in love. <laughs> now, um, we've been talking about Rick Pitino as well. And St. John's came out and got a win on the road against Georgetown by five last night. And Rick Pitino, of course, uh, earlier in the week, over the weekend, Talked about his team after the Seton Hall game. He says, you know, he's too slow. He's not strong enough. He's too slow laterally. He's too slow laterally. This guy, I can't even play him on the floor. This is the least enjoyable year as a head coach I've ever had. Now, I know Rick Pitino doesn't mince words, and he usually doesn't apologize. Hell, he didn't even apologize for the way the things ended at Louisville. He said he didn't feel like he was in the wrong. He was okay with what – he didn't like how it went down, but he, he, he has no regrets. He doesn't apologize for anything, but I found it kind of interesting. After all of the talk of him this past week, he stepped up to the podium. And, and, and Connor, is this an apology? Go ahead and play it. I went home, talked to my wife, and came back, and I said to my staff – Anybody, guys, any of them upset? It's a couple of feelings of hurt. So I immediately went in the team and told them, I absolutely love you guys. I would never, ever want to embarrass you, but it's my bad. I'm at fault. I should have never mentioned anybody by name. I didn't mean it. I was trying to talk typical clinic talk like I do. The slowest player in the league at the NBA is Jokic. He can't move laterally. Some of the greatest players I've coached can't move laterally. So I didn't think that's a big deal, but I should never, ever mention a name. I'm a veteran coach. I tell every young coach in the business, show class when you win, show class when you lose, give the other team credit. I've been really, really frustrated this year for a lot of different reasons. But understand something. I recruited this man. I recruited this man. My staff did not recruit these guys. It was all me. His dad called me. I said, done. I want him. RJ, uh, for UMass alumnus um, for one year, uh, I wanted him. Thought he was going to be great. Ledlam, I wanted him. It was all me. And I'm really, really proud to have them. But I totally apologize to them for doing that. It was no intent. I was very calm, very collected. And uh, I wasn't ripping them. That wasn't my intent. But words matter. Words matter. I, I, watch, um, I watch a lot of politics and I see what these politicians say about each other and I cringe absolutely cringe and say thank God I'm a basketball coach so uh, I just want to briefly say uh, my guys are the most important thing my family uh, my family and my players outside of breathing air they're the most important thing <laughs> in my life that's why I'm still coaching today uh, they are the air that I breathe and I love them dearly. I would never want to embarrass them or hurt them. Uh, a couple of them certainly were. But they went out yesterday and had the best practice of the year. So um, I'm real proud of that. I never, ever wanted to hurt my players. I tell you that right. But at the end of the day, you did, brother. You, you did. And that's why you're up. You're apologizing for something. You never mince words. You never apologize for anything, even after how it ended at Louisville. Yet you're apologizing. And your players, if you look at that, if you go back and just sort of look at the presser, players are side-eyeing him the entire time. I think Joel Soriano was up there, who's his leading scorer. Um, it, it's clear he, he, he had a misstep there. He had a misstep there, and and I, I do get a kick out of him. Oh, it was just regular clinic talk, regular clinic. But you, you don't 
regular talk up at a podium is not saying Ledlam's too slow, Soriano's too slow, this guy's too weak. That's not regular discussion up in front of the press. So, you know, in the end of the day, um, I didn't expect an apology. He ended up throwing out an apology because I, I, I you got to realize that your players were going to be hurt by those things. You just don't call players out by name. You can say as a, as, a, as a whole, you can say, yeah, I just think we're a little too slow on the perimeter. We can't move sideways, that type of thing. And his comparing to Jokic, that's a little too little too late, buddy. Well, because you know his players Come are on, like, man. hey, man, I appreciate it, but yeah, I I'm need not that guy. Jokic. I'm not I'm not, I'm not him. I'm not, I'm not Jokic. I appreciate you trying to soften the blow, but no, buddy. That's not how that works. But, I, I, hey, end of the day, I am blown away that Rick Pitino, at 71 years old, is apologizing for something he said to the media. He never does that. That is just not something that has ever been in his DNA. But, hey, good on him. The most important thing he said was in the first five seconds of that clip, I went home and talked to my wife. You know she was like, you better get out there. You better. Talk, yeah. You better get out there. Now, he, he, the thing is, too, Rick Pitino's been around for a while. I think with the presser the other day he downplayed the day and age we are in and the type of players and the type of mindset and the personalities that players today have and i'm not trying to be like oh everybody's a wuss that's not that's not what i'm saying but i mean egos of younger guys um you know coming through the recruiting process i think egos are a little more fragile and i don't think he quite understood that in that moment he 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 sort of followed what he's done his entire career where he doesn't mince words. But in this day and age, you have to be a little more careful about it. Well, and it lives forever. A clip goes on social media, and the players may have to see it 24-7 for the next week. You know what I mean? So it's just things live a little bit longer and, on the and internet. And by the way, you notice he gave himself some credit? Of course he did. Did you notice that? Oh, we had our best practice best of practice. the year earlier this week I because also, I said that. I also noticed during that, if they ever make a movie about him, Pacino should play. I, did, I had never noticed how much he sounds like Pacino until that clip right there. How's Pacino doing, by the Pacino's way? Pacino's doing great. He was, he's, he's like he's he's up 83? There. He's up there. He's doing great. Yeah. You know, I, there, was, there was the debate over the summer, and especially when Nick Saban retired, about who would play him. Saban? And I I always thought Al Pacino could do a good job, but that would have to be old, old Saban that he's playing. And you have to throw the makeup on. You have to have a lot of makeup to make that happen. You know who I landed on for that that conversation? And you may throw this right back at me. Billy Bob Thornton. I think that would be perfect. That's quite literally who I was about to say. That's literally the perfect one. You just read my mind. Because Billy Bob Thornton and Nick Saban and the accent, you don't have to teach it. You don't have to teach it. It's dead on. And I think they, they, you could could definitely, you could make up Billy Bob Thornton to look like Nick Saban. When you listen to Billy Bob Thornton interviews, he has one with Mark Maron that's fantastic. He sounds like Nick. He's like, I. Exactly the same. It's, it's. You read my mind, Gabe. Yes. You read my mind. Billy Bob Thornton's that guy. But I thought Al Pacino. There's some acting chops from Al Pacino. I think he could play that Really? Old, Al Pacino old, has old, acting chops. Old, old, Breaking old, news on the Gabe Coon Show. Old Nick Saban. <laughs> I think Al Pacino could rock that out. I think he could rock that out. We'd have to do some accent teaching <laughs> along the way. But, um, yeah, he was always one at the top of that list. Now, let's go ahead on that note and transition. Jeff Calkins will join the Gabe Coon Show coming up next right here on 92.9 FM ESPN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.